That would have been James Harrison. No. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> Anyways. Are we ready? You yeah, ready? We talked enough. Yeah, I think we I think we yeah. talked enough. Yeah. We're kind of running late today already. Yeah, we're good. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of 4.30 in the morning. This is your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. 77. Yep, episode number 77. How many <sighs> players do you have today for 77? I think yeah. Marcus Gilbert was 77 for the Pittsburgh Steelers for a while. He's not there anymore, is he? No, he was actually a pretty good lineman. He was okay. He was just, he was a little slow because he was really big. Yeah. But, you know, he can hold his own uh, in pass the pass blocking. block. Yeah. The Browns have 177. Wyatt Teller. Yeah, he's pretty good. He has been a two-year starter for the Browns. Both years, he was a second-team All-Pro at uh, right guard. Yeah, he's pretty good. He, he was one of those guys. He got drafted by the Bills back in, I don't know, 2018 or something. He started a little bit. He's out of Alabama, isn't he? Wyatt Teller, I don't believe so. I feel like I would know that, where he came from. I feel like, no, let me look that up real quick. Is it Alabama? I don't think it was Alabama. But yeah, Wyatt Teller, he was a draft pick out of Virginia Tech. He was a fifth-round pick by the Bills, and it's like they kind of picked him as like a project guard. He ended up starting a few games for the Buffalo Bills back in those days, but he really wasn't a good fit for what they were doing. Before the 2019 season, the Browns had an issue at guard. They didn't have they, – they traded away Kevin Zeitler in the Odell Beckham trade, and they didn't really have like a, like an heir apparent at right guard. They already right. had Joel Batonio left guard, but it's like they traded for this Wyatt Teller guy, and it's like – Okay, he started a few games, but he couldn't hack it in Buffalo. What makes you think that he's going to hack it in, in Cleveland? Right. And his first season was rough. It wasn't great. Like, he wasn't a starter right away. He ended up starting a few games. And it's like, he's showing some things, but it's like, we don't really know what we got here. And then in 2020, it's like, okay, well, we got Jack Conklin, all-pro, right tackle. We got Joe Batonio, all-pro, left guard. We got J.C. Treader, who's a borderline Pro Bowl center. The rookie draft pick, the high draft pick, Jedrick Wills. He's going to start. He's going to be pretty good. Wasn't he from Alabama? Yes, he That's was. That's who I was okay. thinking about. Yeah, he was. Yeah. We've talked about him before on the show in episode number 71. We talked about Chedric Wills a little bit. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. He's all right. But it's like the right guard is going to be the problem. Who's going to be the right guard? We didn't know who the right guard was going to be. We thought maybe it was going to be Chris Hubbard. Maybe it was going to be some other guys. Wyatt Teller showed up, and it's like, okay, that's, that's the name we know. We'll see what he's going to do in this offense. And he was having like the pro football focus grades, like the highest grades that they've ever given a right guard. He was just crushing people. It was, it was fucking unbelievable. I've never seen a guard dominate a game as much as this guy has. Now, he's very scheme-specific. He needs to be playing in that that Kevin Stefanski zone rush offense, basically. But they they consider him an offensive weapon. They're like, we're going to send him out there. He's going to clear up a whole bunch of space for us. He's going to open up the running game. And he does that. He does that consistently. Dude, you, got, you guys have a stacked offensive line. You, got, very, you guys have the, the best offensive line in the league. With the, amount of, with the amount of all-pros that they got, they've got yes. second-team and first-team all-pros all across that line, basically. Like, sure, so. you have teams you have teams like the Colts who have Quinton Nelson. Yes. And you have teams like the Cowboys with Zach Martin. Sure. But they don't have multiple players like that on their offensive line like the Browns. They do. don't have both guards going to the all pro. Yes, exactly. exactly. So that's exactly. Wyatt Teller. I love him. I think he's great. And they got both those guys extended. They got him and Joel Antonio extended like, for a while. There's so. no reason why Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb should not be 1,200-yard rushers. As long as they're both on the field. There's no reason. And with Watson in the mix Watson now, should have about 1,000 yards rushing, too. Yeah. Behind that offensive line? Are you kidding me? It's going to be interesting. Anyways, that pretty much covers football for today. We kind of went over with that. Sure. On to the news, Ben. What kind of news do you have today, sir? I got three news stories. Uh-oh. Right back to football. Perfect. This is from 247 Sports. Uh-oh. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of this site, but I thought this was kind of funny. Pat, before we started this episode, we had a little discussion about the United States Football League. Yes, the USFL. I have kind of a funny news story from a little situation from the USFL. Okay, I'm glad we're getting into this one. I don't have this one, but this one I was planning on talking about anyway, <laughs> so let's get into this. Ex-Michigan standout. Devion Smith cut from USFL team for wanting pizza over chicken salad. Yes, and there's kind of a lot going on with this one. <laughs> the Pittsburgh Maulers, a 
USFL team cut former Michigan football running back Davion Smith for wanting to eat pizza rather than chicken salad. A behind-the-scenes video from the league's United by Football, a season in the USFL, showed the moment when head coach Kirby Wilson made the decision. Well, he crossed the line, Wilson said in an interview on the show following the move, so we had to deal with it. In the meeting with Smith, Wilson goes on to explain why the Mullers are cutting Smith. This is very difficult for me as a head coach my first time, Wilson told Smith, but we have to do business. This is a business and you're a businessman. We all are. But when I first talked to you guys on March 22nd, I had a handbook. I covered some items that were very important to me. Line 46 addresses that any disrespect of football or members staff, USFL, hotel, etc. will not be tolerated, Wilson said. And it's been brought to my attention that has occurred with you, Wilson told Smith. So unfortunately, hear me out, unfortunately, at the cost of doing business, I'm going to have to let you go. Okay? And what's funny is, <laughs> is before we got started today. Sorry that was choppy, but it was written really terribly. No, because I actually watched the video of what you just read, and that's exactly how okay, it went good. down. So okay, you, good. you didn't fuck anything up there. <laughs> okay, that was just good. how it was. And uh, now, a little bit of context for our listeners before we get too deep into this. The, the whole thing stems from him getting upset because he was, like, delivered chicken salad and he wanted a piece of pizza from somebody else yeah, instead. Yeah, Now, it wasn't the fact that he requested pizza instead of chicken salad. Now, this guy claims he doesn't eat chicken salad, which, who the fuck doesn't eat chicken right, salad? Like, right. that's a weird-ass thing. <laughs> but it, it all stems from the fact that he was a really, uh, he's a big dick about the fact that he was given chicken salad and he really wanted a slice of pizza. And he was, like, treating people ridiculously because of this. He's like, man, give me my fucking pizza, man. Who the fuck are you denying me my pizza type of shit? So that's really where the misconduct happened. It wasn't... Was he actually saying it like that? It, was, it sounded like he was being really mean to somebody who was just working for the team. And they were like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do for you, dude. And he was being a complete dick to them, is what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Now, this kind of got warped into, man, he got he got fired because he wanted pizza instead of a chicken salad. When it was really... he was behaving obnoxiously because okay so there was a little bit of context but it's still silly as fuck it's like it's, it's just the way that the coach fired him is just absolutely hilarious now kirby wilson was a, <laughs> was a former browns coach and i remember him back when he was there and i kind of like i like kirby wilson i can't really say too many bad things about him just, but we're gonna have to let you go man <laughs> <laughs> he, he's sticking to his guns and what's funny is apparently i don't know this guy too well this player apparently he was like one of the best running backs supposed to be one of the best running backs in the usfl yeah he had a decent career at Michigan. And his ass is out on the street again. Yep. All because of this bullshit. But what an idiot. Just eat the damn salad. I don't understand like what kind of athlete, mm-hmm. especially if you're an athlete. None of this should have happened. A chicken salad's like the perfect thing. Like that's what I would eat. That's what I would request before a game or something. If I had to eat a little bit of something. You're getting protein. Mm-hmm. You're getting like vegetables in you. I don't know. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I don't, don't understand. I don't, I don't how really did this know. guy how did this guy make it this far without ever eating chicken salad? <laughs> like is all this guy eat his pizza (laughs) he could be a ninja turtle i don't know is that all you have with that one Yep, that's it with that one. We'll see what happens with that. I thought that was a pretty good news story, though. I'm happy yeah, you brought that, was that good. one up. Anyways, okay, so my first news story. This one's pretty funny. Now, I'm going to preface this one real quick. You've added a few episodes of this podcast before. Yes. And we record like 90 minutes or so. Yeah. And you sat there in front of your computer with 90 minutes of audio, and you're like, man, this is a lot of fucking shit that I got to sift through and fucking make it into something that's presentable. Yeah. So you understand the effort. Right. That goes into editing anything, anything media. With that in mind, this news article comes from IGN.com, which is that internet gaming network website. Yeah. And they talk about, like, movies and a lot of shit on that website. There's a new movie coming out, which is a sequel to one of my favorite movies from the 1980s. Top Gun Maverick director says he shot 800 hours of footage. For this new movie? For this new movie that's coming out. 800 hours of footage. Unbelievable. That's as long as all the Lord of the Rings films footage combined. So all three of the Lord of the Rings. That's more than the time we have left on this podcast. (laughs) It is. Think about that. 800 hours. It sounds as though Top Gun Maverick was quite a grueling shoot with director Joseph Kosinski filming over 800 hours of footage. 
During an interview with Empire Magazine, the director revealed that he shot the equivalent of what Peter Jackson and company did for all of the Lord of the Rings movies put together. Out of a 12 or 14 hour day, you might get 30 seconds of good footage, he explained, but it was so hard earned. It just took a very long time to get it all. Months and months of aerial shooting. We shot as much footage as the three Lord of the Rings movies combined. I think it was 800 hours of footage. Now, the article goes on to talk about Ted, uh, Ted Cruz, Tom Cruise, and his, because Tom Cruise is in this movie and he's like the aerial instructor in the movie now Tom Cruise is also a pilot so he was like helping these other pilots like set up all the shit because they were actually flying planes up there and shooting footage in the cockpit so the, the I guess the actors I guess had to control like what was going on with the shooting so there's a lot of footage being like shot for this but 800 hours is 33 days worth of footage yeah, that's, that's over a, un- a month over a month could you imagine <laughs> Now, this isn't like a month where you're only working eight hours a day. This is a month straight of footage. Yeah, that's they got to decipher and simmer down and turn it into a into a movie. I think Top Gun was an hour and 50 minutes, the original movie. How the fuck do you distill 800 hours into two hours? Like, what the fuck is going on here? 800 hours. That's 800 hours total. I'm sure that they didn't sift through all 800. I'm sure they, like, scrapped some right away. Sure. Being like, okay, this is junk. Okay, this is junk. Sure. But think about it this but way. Still, that's a lot of time. They're comparing this to the Lord of the Rings, which was what twelve hours. The extended edition was yeah. like twelve hours total of footage. They're, they're trying to. Get, that's like six times as big as what Top Gun's yeah. gonna end up being. Yeah, it's unreal. It's ridiculous. I, I guess it would be kind of hard to. How do you even get comprehend? Footage. Yeah, how do you comprehend? Well, how do you comprehend editing that? Could you imagine being an editor and having eight hundred footage, eight hundred hours of footage <laughs> just plopped down in front of you and being like, uh, this, "This movie better make some money." It's like I have enough problems <laughs> with ninety minutes of audio. Just pure audio yeah. when I know what's going on, and it, I don't need to edit it together. I just gotta kind of sift through it, basically. Right. This is eight hundred hours. Couldn't wow. imagine. Anyways, that's all I really have for that one. I thought it was kind of funny. That is funny. Top Gun that's Maverick unreal. will be in theaters at some point in twenty twenty two. I'm looking forward to it. Well, they're probably still fucking going through the fucking <laughs> they're probably hours. Still editing it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, what else do you have today, sir? This is from our favorite iNews. Awesome. Deputy uses skills learned from TV to lasso loose sheep on the highway. I saw this one, and I was going <laughs> to run it, but I ended up finding a couple other ones I'd rather run, so this is a good sure. one. An Indiana sheriff's deputy used amateur cowboy skills he learned from a TV series to lasso a loose sheep that wandered onto the highway. <sighs> This guy's moment finally arrived. This yes. guy's been waiting for this. Absolutely. Scott County Sheriff's Office said Deputy Skyler Thompson was among those who responded to the area of mile marker 37 on southbound Interstate 65 on a report of a road obstruction. Thompson told WDRB-TV a miscommunication initially led deputies to think there was a sheet of metal in the roadway, but they arrived on the scene to discover the culprit was actually a loose sheep. Deputy Thompson located located what he recognized as a sheep trying to hitchhike on the interstate, which is illegal in Indiana. (laughs) The sheriff's office said in a Facebook post, Thompson went into action when the sheriff's office was unable to contact animal control personnel. He ended up using a borrowed lasso from some skills he learned from a popular TV series. I think it's more or less, I watch too much Yellowstone. Thompson said. Oh, he's watching Yellowstone. I hear that's a good show. Okay. Who just had a lasso laying around? (laughs) If I were a cop, I'd have a lasso ready to go. Okay. You never know what you're going to run into. I guess. Thompson was able to get the lasso around the sheep's neck and escort it out of the roadway. It was pure luck, he said. Sheriff's office said the wayward sheep believed to have fallen from the back of a truck was returned to its owner. That's the end of it. That's pretty good. That's a pretty funny one. That's pretty funny. I'm just just curious. Hey, anyone got a lasso around here? No. I could grab this. Do you think he practiced that prior to this incident or was it just something he was like oh well this is what they did on yellowstone let's give this a shot and it worked i feel like it was probably the latter i feel like that was probably what happened is he just was like fuck it let's give it a shot <laughs> yeah i don't know i feel like that would be really hard to do like you need to have a lot of coordination going on like you have to get it spinning up yeah. in the air it's, like, it's got to be perfect timing you too. fling it could you, could you imagine the the cowboys that do it on horseback now they've been practicing it since they were like two years old probably. right but still so, it's unbelievable. Anyways, that all you have with that one? That's a pretty funny news story. That's all I got. Again, that was one on a worse 
news cycle that was one I probably would have ran as well. <laughs> I found a couple of interesting ones, though, that I wanted to talk about. And this is another one from UPI Odd News. You might have this one. Do you have any more UPI Odd News today? I have one more. Uh-oh. Dublin Airport received 12,272 noise complaints from one person... <laughs> In 2021, one individual in Ireland made 12,272 noise complaints against Dublin Airport in 2021, airport operator DAA has announced. The unidentified person averaged 34 complaints a day (laughs) and accounted for 90% of all complaints received by the DAA. About aircraft taking off and landing at the location. The total complaints last year totaled 13,569, but would have been only 1,296 if cases by the individual were not counted. (laughs) The individual who lives in Agnar, Angar County, located in northwest Dublin, also previously made 6,227 complaints in 2020. Almost double what they did in 2021. Now that's not right. Man, Ben Hooper's fucking us up. It should be almost half of what he did in 2021. The complaints are count are continuing in 2022, <laughs> with the person having already filed 5,296 notices. A daily average of 59. What is going on here? Like, okay. Like, how old is this guy? Is this guy retired? How does he have the time to do he's this He's unidentified. Shit? Or she. It could be a she. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I feel okay. like women file more complaints than men. Sure. That might be a sexist thing to say, but when you read when you read reviews, it's usually Yeah. Anyways. DAA says it has responded to each individual complaint and says airport operations are committed to working with the communities on issues such as aircraft noise. DAA also introduced an online system known as WebTrack that gives details on flight paths and noise levels from aircraft using the Dublin airport. WebTrack also makes it easier to submit noise complaints <laughs> so somebody out there has nothing better to do than to complain about the airport and they're like this is making a difference this is really making it happen now they've we we talked about this was in 2021 they did 12,272 with everything else added together they've gone well over 20,000 complaints could you imagine writing out anything 20,000 times and sending it in like 34 a day, 56 a day. They said that he's on pace for 56 a day so far in 2022. I feel like if you're that close to the airport, you have adopted consequences of living that close to the airport. The amount of time he's spent or she has spent complaining probably could have moved. They could have gone somewhere else. They could have started a new company, made a ton of money in the process with just the effort that it would take. Yeah, yeah, like, for sure. How the hell do you lodge 30, 34 complaints a day? Is that every single plane that flies up in the sky? I mean, that's complaining what I'm about? thinking. Now, if Dublin was innovative, they would uh, bring in Cardi Finkbeiner from the city of Toledo, Ohio, (laughs) and have him just institute all deaf people around the airport. That would kind of solve this problem. Literally. There wouldn't be many more complaints about noise if there was all deaf people living out there. But still, 34 complaints a day. I can't imagine doing that. I can't think of anything I do that many times a day besides my repetitive job Your at work. job at work, exactly. And even that fucking drives me nuts. Yeah, like, I don't know. I don't have anything else to add to that. I think it's ridiculous. That's, that's hilarious. That's ridiculous. Anyways, what else do you have today, sir? This is another one from UPI Odd News. Doctors remove drill bit accidentally inhaled during dental procedure. Uh-oh. Okay. I saw this one today, too. Doctors in Wisconsin were able to safely remove a tiny drill bit from inside a man's lung after he inhaled the tool while undergoing a procedure. Tom Kosey, 60, said he was getting a filling from a dentist in Illinois when he inhaled a tiny drill bit. I don't know why I found this absolutely hilarious. I like I, I find it interesting when people like swallow something they shouldn't or and they got to like shit it out or like yeah. or like or when people like, you remember that kid that fell on those keys and the key went into his eyeball? Yeah, that was a good one. And it didn't do any damage to the eyeball? Like, I don't, sure. know, I don't know why that shit intrigues me so much. You've got a morbid mind. I guess. I was at the dentist getting a tooth filled, and the next thing I know, I was told I swallowed this tool. Jotzi told WISN-TV, I didn't even really feel it go down. All I felt was a cough. 
When they did a CT scan, they realized you didn't swallow it, you inhaled it. Doctors at Aurora Medical Center in Kenosha, Wisconsin, said the situation could have led to an invasive surgery, but they decided to try a device that is typically used for early detection of cancer to attempt to pull the drill out without surgery. Dr. Abdul Al-Reyes, the pulmonary specialist who conducted the procedure, posted a video to YouTube showing the bit being removed. I was never so happy when I opened my eyes. I saw him with a smile under the mask, shaking the little plastic container with the tool in it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I feel like that would be my luck where I'd be like having like dental surgery done and it's just like oh we dropped this fucking drill bit down your fucking throat I would just be so annoyed you go in there to the dentist you don't want to be at the dentist in the first place sure and then you inhale something then you gotta go to the fucking hospital nobody likes going to the hospital and it's like they were trying to place the blame on the patient they were like oh well you you somehow swallowed this thing yeah no you had no control over what was going on (laughs) some idiot dropped the fucking drill bit and yeah, your mouth's, happened. like, wide open. Exactly. Like, you have no control. If that's it falls hilarious. in there, your body's probably going to naturally react to, to try to swallow it. Because that's just what right. it does. So that's a pretty interesting one. Yeah. What do you got? I have one more. And this one comes from a website called WDHR.com. And this one's ridiculous. Now, I saw this one in a couple different places. I even saw this one on UPI Odd News. But I'm deciding to go with this WDHR article. Parents upset after kindergartner shares tequila with classmates. Oh, my God. During snack time. All right. Some parents are upset after a kindergartner brought tequila to school and poured some out for classmates during snack time last week. Wait, some parents? A child in Livonia, Michigan, which is not that far from here, (laughs) shared a bottle of Jose Cuervo mix that had 10% alcohol content with her classmates at Grand River Academy before a teacher stopped it. Alexis Smith, who got the call from her daughter's school on Thursday morning, said, It was so many thoughts running through my mind like, Oh my God, you know, what if it was open before the girl brought it to school? How much was it? Now, Alexis Smith's quotes are going to be a little bit choppy throughout the rest of this article. I'm just warning our listeners. Sure. I'm going to do my best to present them as they were intended. School officials told Smith that a student brought a pre-mixed bottle of Jose Cuervo into class and poured some for four classmates. One of those classmates was Smith's five-year-old daughter. I asked her, like, is my daughter okay? And she said, she's right here and she looks okay. And I said, okay, well, how much did she drink? Smith explained. The school couldn't provide her with a definitive answer. (laughs) Smith added, my daughter takes medicine and first up, no kids should be drinking and you know that you know (laughs) just a shot itself it burns like how do you feel like anything could have happened in a letter addressed to the kindergarten parents the school's principal said disciplinary measures will be taken in accordance with the student code of conduct the school is closed on friday and smith said her daughter wouldn't be returning to class on monday it's so heartbreaking i feel like her first year of kindergarten was already (laughs) short because of covid and situations like this making it worse (laughs) the incident remains under investigation Okay, now... (laughs) This was her first year of kindergarten, which I always assume is a one-year thing. Yeah. Apparently not for this poor poor girl. Now, I was reading some more breakdowns of this. Apparently, the, the kindergarten that brought it in knew that it was alcoholic and brought it in anyways. Just for fun. So something's oh going on in that, in that household that shouldn't be going on at all. How, how is she able to get the bottle in the bag? If it was margarita mix, I mean, they make some small bottles with that. Especially if it's, oh, you got to bring some juice for snack time. Now, now the I, kid had who has been going through the fridge like, oh, shit, it's my turn to bring the juice for snack time or the drink for snack time. Going through the fridge, what can I bring? She landed on this, brought it to school, and <laughs> started pouring shots for the rest of the kids. I don't Unbelievable. know. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of problems with this, and we shouldn't make light of child alcohol consumption because it's not a yes, good thing. Definitely. It's not a good thing. This is just the most wild story it's off the wall and alexis smith isn't happy either now i don't blame alexis smith one bit yeah no shit for all this shit but i guess some of the kids were like taking a few sips and i mean a five-year-old drinking anything I a few imagine. sips is gonna make you woozy as fuck yeah if you're a five-year-old you're way like they're gonna 50 probably pounds, wouldn't make them pounds. sick exactly now, the school has some issues that they have to address as well because somehow this happened. How do you how do you determine, like, what can a kid bring in? It doesn't seem like – I feel like the kid just kind of whipped it out for snack time. The teacher didn't have any control over what was going on. I feel like any teacher that knew that Jose Cuervo tequila mix was in the, <laughs> was in the mix at school was going to be 
confiscating yeah. that immediately. Yeah, most definitely. Somehow there wasn't a lot of adult supervision, because I feel like you'd be kind of keeping an eye on... What the kids were eating. And drinking. Yeah. Now, can a five-year-old pour a glass? I don't know the coordination skills. It feels like I wouldn't really trust a five-year-old to be pouring, pouring drinks for everybody else. Like, I don't feel like... So this was margarita mix. Yes, those bottles can be pretty, <laughs> can big. Be pretty big. Yeah. yeah. So I I can't imagine a five year old picking up like a liter exactly bottle. And I'm trying pouring. to imagine this. I feel like they'd be spilling a lot. Everywhere. Yeah, definitely. And I guess the good thing is it is only a ten percent mix, so it's not that bad. But, but still, still for a five year old, it's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Again, I'm sorry. Started early up there, I guess. That's hilarious. I don't know. That's all I have with that one. Hopefully that one's not too controversial for the show. It's it's child abuse. It really is. It yeah, is it's, I mean, it's terrible. I, I feel bad good. for the kids. I, and I, yeah. feel, I feel bad for the kid that was able to get alcohol in the first place, put it in. How is that in, allowed? In, was, it a, was it a boy or a girl? It sounded like it was a girl that it, brought it to school. It, and it was, she knew. Like, she knew what yeah. it, She knew that it was alcohol. And that she was able to get the, put the alcohol in her book bag without her parents seeing. Yeah. It like, sounds like she was just like, oh, she thought it was going to be a troublemaker. Now, she's got <laughs> drinking at home then that, that's my that's the scary thing that i'm kind of landing on is if she's gonna make if she knows I'm what it five is five-year-old if she knows what it is and she brought it to school she's had some experiences at home and that's terrible that's ridiculous that's terrible that's or rough. she's been witnessing her parents well yeah and we don't know hopefully not that's all i have with that one man they cut a lot of that out but Sure. We'll see. Anyways, do you have any more news? Yeah, I got one more. You got one more? Okay. Nah, I don't care. This might be controversial. This is from the Washington Times. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Two inmates impregnated by transgender inmate at all-women's prison in New Jersey. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I found that headline to be absolutely hilarious. Two inmates at the all-women's prison in New Jersey are pregnant after reportedly having sex with a transgender inmate. So, you got... The women are confined at the Edna Mahan Correctional Facility in Clinton, New Jersey. It's the state's only all-women's prison and is slated for closure following complaints about sexual assaults and other problems in the facility. Don Sparazza, a spokesman for the New Jersey Department of Corrections, told New Jersey... Jersey.com that the women became pregnant after consensual sexual relationships with another incarcerated person. The news website reported that the prison houses 27 transgender inmates who are biological men identifying as women. Okay, but this is an all-women's prison. Now, what this opens up the door for is, let's think about it for a second. Think about it for a second. Let's say, God forbid, you committed some crimes. Right. You did some pretty bad shit, and it's like, you're going to get locked up for a while. Yeah. If you're in the right state, you can just decide, hey, you know, I identify as a woman now. Why would you not? want to go to prison with all women if you're going to prison regardless yes 100 why would you not want to do that i would do that you're just opening up the door for chaos <laughs> this is literally the creation of legalized chaos right literally now. i just i just I, I found it funny it's how <sighs> an all women prison you have two women get impregnated in an all women prison and how can you even determine like there is no there is no limiting standard to any of this i found it hilarious that's <laughs> this is the world that we live in now like what? Any, what part of any of this makes sense? This is what happens when uh, I just I can't even I can't even start with this one. I can't even I can't <laughs> even start. There is I, I don't even know I don't even know if I want to start. This is the world that we live in now, and we we're talking about prisoners. So obviously these people are creating committing crimes, and I don't give a shit. Definitely. I really don't give a shit what the hell's happening in prisons. I really don't. Care. I don't really care either. But anyways, on to the main topic. What is the main topic today, sir? Kind of similar to last week's episode. Yeah, it is. Instead of people, we're going to be talking about events. Definitely. Lesser we... known events that have that has changed history. Yes, it's going to be events that you don't really think about. Like, you don't really think about, oh, this is a monumental moment that really changed the outlook of the world, basically. Sure. So, I don't know about you. I brought three to the studio today. All these are pretty good. I feel like I'm I'm pretty happy with what I have today. Sure, I have I have four, but you know, one of them was real quick. All right, you want to get started with this one today? My first one, Pat. So we have talked about this city a couple times uh, throughout our various episodes. Uh-oh. Have you ever heard of Toledo, Ohio? Yes, I have. I feel like we've talked about it before. Yeah, we don't live too far from Toledo. Not Ohio. too far. Did you know that there was a war revolved around Toledo? Believe it or not, I knew that. Yeah, so this is a good one. Okay. Let's do you have this. this one? I do not have this one. So the Toledo War. I watched a couple of videos online getting some re- um, getting some research done at work about the Toledo War. 
Sure. And both of them were from Michigan and kind of were, you know, Michigan. Michigan oriented. Yeah. And what's funny is my parents would explain to me about how there was a war over the city of Toledo back when I was a little kid. And I couldn't comprehend it. And I thought they were, I honestly, I thought they were bullshitting me. No, there was actual war. And I ended up seeing a documentary called How the States Got Their Shapes which was a History Channel special, and that guy covered the Toledo War. And I, I, I thought it was bullshit up until that point. I watched this as a teenager. I was like, <laughs> no shit, this actually happened. Anyways, yeah, it's pretty let's cool. get into this. So Michigan became a state in 1837, but they sought statehood in, in 1835. At the time, there was an ordinance called the Northwest Ordinance. Yes. Now, what the North, the Northwest Ordinance basically did was it outlined how the Northwest territories would be divvied up into states. Sure. This ordinance had certain rules and qualifications to meet before a territory would apply for statehood through Washington, D.C. slash Congress. Sure. A big one of that would have been population out of a certain number of people. Yeah, which that is, was like 60,000. Something like that, the, yeah. If you had 60,000 people in its borders, you could apply. For statehood. So in 1835, Michigan held a constitutional convention and drafted their own constitution and everything. And they applied for statehood once it reached over 60,000 people. Now, Ohio has been a state for decades at this point. 1803. 1803, yeah. 1803, Ohio became a state. 17th state, yep. Since they had already been a state for this long, they are one of the states to vote whether they would approve Michigan's application to become a state. See, I would have denied it, but... The federal government, they had surveyors go out even before Ohio became a state to kind of draw the territory territories of um, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, sure. you know, the, the Northwest area. And when they made that original line, the line came kind of at an angle down right under Toledo. Yes. So technically Toledo would be in Michigan. But when Ohio became a state, they kind of swindled that line up a little bit and they pretty much claimed Toledo as their own because Toledo was really substantial to have in those days. They called it the Toledo Strip. Yep. Because Toledo opens up, it's a, it's a river mouth into Lake Erie. Yes. And river travel was essential in those days Yep, for commerce and all it, sorts of shit. It became bigger with the uh, Erie Canal and the different canals yeah. that kind of popped up. So having access to the Maumee River through that mouth into the into Lake Erie was huge, and Michigan wanted it. And to be fair, back then, we didn't really know how people were going to land. Toledo could have easily become Chicago just right. based on yep. how things were developing back then. And people kind of forget about that. So Right. So Ohio basically claimed Toledo as their own when they surveyed for, for for them to become statehood. And when they applied to Congress, no one objected Ohio's map. Sure. So Ohio was basically able to claim Toledo. And when Michigan went to apply for statehood, they were able to basically lobby to other states to be like, hey, you can't vote for this yet. We're still having disputes over this piece of land. And they were basically able to gridlock the situation because Congress wasn't willing to give Toledo back over to Michigan Territory because they already approved Ohio as a state. Yeah. They can't just move that back, you know. But one of the other problems, too, that could pop up theoretically in this is if they needed that certain population threshold, Toledo might have pushed them over the the threshold. definitely. Which you have to kind of consider that as well. Definitely. But there were a couple silly things that happened, you know, throughout this war. So as far as we know, only there's been no bloodshed as far as, you know, weapons are concerned throughout this war. But militias were called to defend the Toledo Strip on both sides. So we don't, history doesn't really say if anyone fired a shot. We don't really know that. I think there were like a couple shots fired. Um, But really no reported deaths. Although this one guy um, in his YouTube video, he's a historian. He was talking about the Toledo War. He went to a Michigan cemetery in like... Like Oak, I think it's called Oakland, Michigan, or something like that. Oakland County, I don't fucking know. Oakland County is a county, yep. Okay, Oakland County, and it was a tombstone, and it said in different tombstones from different you know wars throughout history have like certain marks, so you can tell what war they were a veteran of. This particular tombstone said "Veteran of the Toledo War," and it's the only one ever seen. <laughs> so, is this the one guy that possibly could have died during the Toledo War? Well, one of the battles that was fought was, was literally at a bar. There was, yeah, there was one at the bar. There was another one. Some guy got stabbed with a knife. There was another one where a group of Michigan people 
and a group of Ohio people were on the Maumee River, and they were both in boats, and they just kind of yelled at each other. <laughs> that was considered a battle. Yeah. This was technically a, a war, though. It like, was considered like, a war. Like, these, it's literally considered these, the Toledo these, War. These two, Ohio as a state and Michigan as a territory, were literally arguing and trying to get this territory from each other. Luckily, nobody died. Well, I guess one guy did at the bar. If anybody died, it was somebody that kind of had a heart attack because they got nervous or something. Yeah. But the federal government ultimately had a solution. They told Michigan, hey, if you let Ohio keep Toledo, you can basically get the Upper upper Peninsula. Yep. Now, at first, I don't think it was the entire peninsula. I don't know if if I'm correct with that. I can't remember. But ultimately, they end up getting the entire peninsula. Yep. But that caused another issue because the Upper Peninsula wasn't necessarily the federal government's to give away. It was still land that belonged on the Native Americans, yeah. which they basically had to swindle the land away from, out of the um, Native Americans' possession through a treaty. So that's which ba- that was kind of shady, too. Yeah, from what I understand. But that's I, that's basically the story of the Toledo War. Yeah, it's really interesting. I have some it's friends that funny. live up there that were leaving with only reservations up there. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting how that all broke down. It's all because of fucking Toledo. And it really shaped the way the country looks. I mean, yeah. Wisconsin could have been completely different. Wisconsin could have been... <laughs> You know, different. like things could have been a lot different, a lot if, different if this didn't happen. Michigan would probably be a bigger state than Ohio was if that yeah. population swing would have taken hold. Definitely. But, yep. Anyways, that's a really interesting one. It's a really good one. Now, for my first one, are you done with that one? Yeah, go ahead. For my first one, we're going way back in time, like 2,500 years before that happened. Oh, shit. And we're going to be talking about Nebuchadnezzar II's invasion of Judea and the destruction of Jerusalem in 597 BC. Now, apparently Babylon, which was the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar back in ancient Middle Eastern times, like the Hebrews and all that shit, Babylon invaded Judea, which was the home of the Hebrews, the Jerusalem, the Jewish population. I guess it invaded them three times over the course of like the 7th century, the 6th century BC. Mm -hmm. The reason why I'm bringing this one up is if it weren't for Nebuchadnezzar II invading Judea and destroying Jerusalem in 597, I don't think Christianity would have existed. Because when we look at the Bible, we look at how the Bible's written, there's a lot of books within the Bible, and it's kind of presented as chronological order, to an extent. You can kind of read it here and there. And you're going to read about this in at least the Catholic Bible in the books of Kings. I think the second book of Kings especially has the invasion of Nebuchadnezzar into Judea. And then it kind of follows the aftermath of the Jewish diaspora, where they all kind of had to spread across whatever. Mm -hmm. The reason why it's so significant is if Nebuchadnezzar didn't invade Judea and didn't destroy Jerusalem, the Jewish people probably would still have had their homeland. If they had their homeland, there wouldn't have been the reason for prophecies about a Messiah to even pop up and take hold within the culture. Now, they existed in some form or fashion. We really don't know when the book of Isaiah was written. We really don't know historically when this would have happened. If he would have been writing his shit before or after the Babylonian invasion, we really don't know. People kind of say they think they know either way. We really don't know. But it wouldn't have really been relevant if the people of Jerusalem had just lived and prospered. They just would have been another culture that would have just lived and prospered for as long as they would have lasted. Since they were driven out of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, they had a reason to believe in some prophecies. A savior. A savior coming to save them. The book of Isaiah would have held more prominence at that point. And then when Jesus strolls along 600 years later, there he is. Bam. To a lot of people at least. And if he didn't do that, then Islam wouldn't have existed either because they were still dependent on some aspect of that developing. Right. So if you really look at it, the way that the, the religions that were that, that spawned from Judaism back in those days wouldn't have existed if Nebuchadnezzar didn't invade. I mean, I mean... It really is kind of interesting when you look at it. Yeah, I mean, it makes, make it, very, it makes sense. You can make a very compelling case for that. Sure. So, yeah, that's a good one. I didn't get really deep into that one. I, I had this whole thing written out that I didn't even touch <laughs> on, but... No, I mean, if you, I mean, if you think about it, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. Once I started mapping it out, and I've studied the Bible pretty intensely over my career, it does kind of make sense. It's kind of like, well, you know, if this really didn't happen, you know, there wouldn't have been nearly as much. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't have created the culture. Exactly. So yeah. that's my first yeah, that's one. That's interesting. What's your next one? My next one. We're going back to the 1800s. You ever heard of the Sultana Explosion? Can you spell that for us, please? S-U-L-T-A-N-A. Sultana Explosion. Yes. I can't say that I have. We're talking April 27th, 1865. This was the worst maritime disaster in United States history. So this would have been, the Civil War would have still been going on. This was like literally like right a at the couple end? of days after the Civil War. Oh, after ended. the Civil War? Okay. Something. Yeah. Uh, 
Yes. Civil War had just ended. Okay. But not a lot of people know about this situation because this is right after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. Okay. There we go. So the Sultana was a steamboat, and this steamboat, it was traveling up the Mississippi River, and it was bound for St. Louis. Sure. This thing exploded, and it killed 1,800 people on board. You know, I read about this, and I can't believe... Like, this is a bigger disaster than the Titanic. How is this not talked about? I, I was I reading know. this one today. It's unbelievable. Like, no one yeah. knows about this. Oh, my God. I've definitely seen this on multiple YouTube videos. Sure. But I don't remember ever discussing this in school. I wasn't like... consciously aware of this <laughs> until about six hours ago when I was researching for some yeah. last-minute shit. So. Definitely. So, there were 2,500 total passengers on the Sultana. The captain, who was J. Cass Mason, agreed to transport Union freed soldiers, or they were uh, prisoners of war, sure. back up north for a fee per passenger. And at the time, this guy needed a lot of money, so he decided just to cram the ship. Now, this ship was only designed for like 375 people, and they crammed 2,500 on board this steamboat. Holy fuck. They now, have been using those Japanese guys that we talked about to push them on board. Yeah, literally. Now, for those, steamboats can get pretty big. Yeah. But 2,500 people, you, I mean, these people are packed in there like sardines, man. See, I would have just gotten out and walked along the river shore. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's unbelievable. So he was hoping that the Mississippi was not rough, that it was going to be a calm trip. Well, that didn't really happen. Sure. The water was near overflowing levels at the time they left, so... That causes, like, debris and trees all to fall in the river. And when you're going upriver like that, it makes for a rough ride. And not to mention, during that time at night, the, the water can get below freezing. I mean, it can sure. get super cold. And at 2 in the morning, one of the steamboat's boilers exploded, and the explosion caused a domino effect, uh, rupturing the other two boilers. And within minutes, the entire ship was engulfed. And in, in what way the wind was blowing and the way the ship was, it, like, blew all the fire all towards the other half half of the ship so the, the entire ship was just engulfed immediately it's a terrible this situation ridiculous despite the civil war being over just a couple days the steamboats union veteran passengers were rescued by confederates i guess that's kind of cool to see yeah <laughs> I, just, I can't imagine you fought this war for how long. You were probably a prisoner of war for how long. Yeah. You win the war, then the president gets assassinated. But at least you're going home. Right, you're going. And you get fucking engulfed in this unbelievable. bullshit. It's unbelievable. Ugh, it's terrible. Now, this wasn't really far after they took off. They were still in Confederate territory when it burst into flames. Now, after the deaths, the disaster was, yeah, it was worse than the Titanic as far as the death toll. Ridiculous. And ironically, um, the news of this didn't spread because of the death of Lincoln. Sure. The Sultana had been sent to Mississippi to deliver newspapers about the death of Lincoln. <laughs> wow. So that's the whole reason they were there in the first place. So that's basically the whole story of the Sultana. That's ridiculous. Not a lot of people know about it. I didn't really know about it until I saw it on YouTube. Yeah, I didn't know and about that. I didn't know about that until today, so. It's crazy. Anyways, so that all you have with that one? Mm -hmm. So for my next one, we're going to be going into the future only about 42 years okay. after that one took place. And this one, I feel like I had to have mentioned at some point throughout the podcast a little bit, but this one is not part of public consciousness. Most people would never know of this event even really happened. And this is the Panic of 1907. Have you ever heard of this? This was a United States financial panic. And to me, we talk about the Great Depression, we talk about the Great Recession, shit like that. This was, honest to God, probably the most important financial panic. Okay. In terms of just something happening where a whole bunch of things ended up happening as a consequence of this whole shit show, basically. And this is a shit show. It, it is a shit show. And the thing with finance is finance lends itself to shit shows because the people that really make money in finance a lot of times make money because they're able to manipulate the fact that other people don't really understand what the fuck's going on in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to like kind of just like sell an idea. But the other problem, too, is you can't really regulate it too much because it fucks up a whole bunch of other shit down the road. Right. So there's a very fine balance in terms of how finance is supposed to operate. And there are a lot of opinions as to how it's supposed to operate. There's a lot of regulation that gets put in place. Some of it makes sense. A lot of it doesn't really make sense. So it's a very complicated situation. Now with this this financial panic, the Panic of 1907, this one happened in mid-October of 1907, the New York Stock Exchange fell nearly 50%, which is a huge loss. Yeah, yeah. oh shit. And the reason why I feel that this one is so important is this was the direct, the direct instigator for the creation of the Federal Reserve. It was, wow, the financial panic 
Titanic in 1907 happened, that was really fucked up. We can't let this happen again. We need the Federal Reserve Bank, a central bank in the United States, put in place. Now, the issue with that is a Federal Reserve in place really wouldn't have prevented this type of thing from happening. Just common sense market rules would have probably prevented this from happening. Now, who was president at this time? 1907 would have been T.R., Teddy Roosevelt. No, really, this wasn't his fault. A lot of these things, they, they it gets kind of overblown, especially back then, who the president was. The president didn't have any control over the markets back then. It's more so these days just because of how intertwined the Fed is with the federal government. Back then, it really wasn't the case. So you really can't blame this one on Teddy Roosevelt at all. Sure. As far as, as, far as I'm concerned. Now, up until that point, pa- panics happened. Like, people would run on banks. There would be a lot of situations where a bank would just collapse overnight because a lot of people just decided they didn't trust it for whatever reason and they would it would collapse. Everybody would go, they say, hey, we want our money back. Eventually, if enough people go to a bank and demand their money back, the bank is not never going to be able to cover that. If you can't cover your the money, what are you going to do? You're going to go out of business. Right. Which is a problem. And there are reasons why we need to have some level of basic regulation in place. But the best regulator would be a common sense education system instead of what we have common sense financial education would do a lot to sustain the economy the reason why it's not taught in schools is common sense education would also eliminate a lot of the profiteer the covert profiteering that a lot of people get away with you know just that makes any sense and honestly just our materialistic society and that's the other problem too. in general that's I mean, the other problem you're too. encouraged to spend 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 buy 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 all the exactly time. and we we really can't do that but Definitely. in this situation, basically the reason why this one happened was in New York City, there were a couple of brothers named F. Augustus and Otto Hines. Now, these guys owned a company called the United Copper Company, but it was a public company. Now, one of them started the company and made money in the copper industry and decided they were going to create this United Copper Company. They thought that they controlled a lot of shares of this corporation. Now, this was a public company, meaning other people could trade it, and it was traded on the stock exchange, essentially. They were under the impression, for whatever reason, I really don't understand why they they came to this conclusion. They thought that a lot of outside investors that owned or at least had access to these shares were short selling the shares for United Copper Company. A short sale is basically if you own a share, I could borrow the share from you for a little bit of time. I'd pay you like a like a small percentage to borrow your share. I would sell it immediately with the anticipation that's going to go down in value. So let's say after a week, I have to give the share back to you regardless. I'd borrow your share for $1 a share, pay you like a penny for the convenience of me borrowing your share. You know you're going to get it back at the end of the week. I think it's going to go down in price. So I sell it immediately. I borrow it for you for a dollar share. I sell it for a dollar share. At the end of the week, I go back and I buy it for 50 cents a share. I give it back to you. You got your share back. You didn't really lose anything because it's still your share. Right. I pocketed the 50 cents. Right. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So that's what short selling essentially is. And we're going to see that even today because there really isn't any regulation against it. And you really can't regulate against it. Especially if both parties think they're getting something out of it. You made a penny technically because I paid you to borrow that share. You know what I mean? But you lose value. You lose. You don't don't really... But if you weren't going to sell it anyways, if you were not going to sell it anyways, what did you really lose? If you weren't planning on selling that share, I hold assets long-term anyways, even if they're going to go down, because I think they're going to go up long-term. That's what I, that's, you know what what I the mean? way, that's the way I think. Yeah. yeah. And different people think differently when it comes with assets. Like if I have an asset, I'm not going to sell in 30 years, borrow it all day. As long as I get to keep it at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter until I want to sell it. And that's another thing too, with the stock market, if people don't understand is the stock market itself is a net zero game, meaning when the market goes up, it's just because a lot of people put a lot of money into the market without taking it out. Right. Every dollar that you take out of the market, either you put in in the first place or somebody else put in. So if I put $100 into the market, I buy some shares, it goes up to $150. I decide I'm going to take it out. I'm taking out my $100, but I'm also, in some way, shape, or form, getting $50 that somebody else put in. Right. If that makes any sense. Yep. So anyways, back to these guys, these Heinz brothers. They thought that they controlled a lot of shares of this United Copper Company. They thought that, oh, we already own a lot of these shares and we think it's being short sold. They didn't actually know what was going on. So their idea was if we can buy up a bunch more shares of this United Copper Company, when these short sellers go to call in their shares, we're going to have so many shares that nobody else is going to be selling United Copper Company shares. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So when they have to go fulfill their obligation and repurchase a share, they can only buy it from us. Meaning, if they can only buy it from one place, we can drive that price up as high as we want mm-hmm. to. They thought they are going to make a lot of money on this. So what ended up happening is they went to a bunch of different institutions. They were like, hey, we got this idea. We think we can corner the market for this United Copper Company because we already control so many shares. It's going to be easy for us to corner the market. We just got to buy up a few more shares and we're good to go. Banks would loan them money. They were like... Yep, here it is. Take some money because we think we're going to make a lot of money on this too. Yeah. They didn't really understand how much they actually controlled. They didn't control nearly as much as they thought they did. Mm. So they were buying up some shares. They were borrowing money. They were doing all that shit. When it came time for these calls to come in, for these short sales to materialize, all the people that were short selling those shares were able to buy the shares back from other people that weren't under control of these Heinz brothers. Mm. So what ended up happening? They thought they were going to drive up the stock, the stock price of their company. They ended up driving it straight down because they had this whole thing built up over an idea that really didn't exist. They misread right. the market completely. Yeah. And so not only did they financially ruin themselves, they also fucked over a bunch of banks that yeah. were lending them money. And that whole thing cascaded into the financial panic in 1907 because all of a sudden it became public. It's like all these guys really fucked up with this whole thing. And then it's like, well, all these banks were involved too, and they really fucked up. So anybody that had an account at the bank, anybody that had any financial interest in the We're bank. not going like, to get the, their give, money. Give me the fucking money as soon as we can. All these banks started folding because they couldn't cover any of this shit because already they gave these this money to these assholes that fucked it up and then... Everybody else is like, well, we can't trust you guys anymore. Give us our fucking money. And it really kind of cascaded out of control, basically. And they, it got so bad. And it, this was a three-week event where, like, the markets crashed. Banks were closing across the country, basically. All because of this. Just because of the, the domino effect of the whole thing. It ended up getting so bad that they created the United States Federal Reserve as a result. Lord almighty. Of it. Which and here we are today. <laughs> completely fucked everything up and there really is there's no reason for the federal reserve if people understood finance a little bit better if we took more time teaching everybody that we knew about finance and just in general from a small scale to a large scale there really wouldn't be a need for a central bank the central bank exists because morons exist and morons do stupid things without thinking about consequences you ain't lying and the federal reserve too is a perfect way to manipulate people and manipulate economies and just fuck over the working class as far as i'm concerned just keep so, printing that money man yep Anyways, that's all I got with that one, the financial panic of 1907. That's pretty good. That was a good one. What else do you have today, sir? Have you ever heard of the Zimmerman Telegram? Yes, that's a good one. A really good one. So World War One started in 1914, but for certain reasons, the United States didn't want to get involved with the situation in Europe at first. Sure, for good reasons. Right. So the United States didn't officially enter World War One until 1917. Now, there's a bunch of, you know, well-known events that happened that eventually got the U.S. involved into the war, such as uh, German submarines sinking U.S. cargo vessels, particularly the Lusitania. Yep. That was a well-known one. Well, many, a lot of people don't know that there's actually a secret t- coded telegram penned by a German foreign secretary, Arthur Zim- Zimmerman, to a German diplomat representative in Mexico. This would this this telegram would heat up a lot of the public in getting the United States involved in this war. See, there are conspiracy theories though that would say that it was fabricated. I've heard these two. Um, do you ever see that movie called The Imitation Game? About, I've heard of it. I've never watched it. About the guy. It's a true story about the guy that. Um, created this machine essentially a computer to decode nazi messages and stuff it's a really really good movie that's a watch true, that true, one. true story sounds good yeah so this secret proposed an alliance between germany and mexico that would <laughs> should the united states enter the war if the central powers were to win mexico would free would be free to annex territory into new mexico texas and arizona now, unfortunately for Germany, the telegram was intercepted by the British. It was decrypted by Room 40. The British passed the document to Washington, D.C., and that day it was all over American newspapers. Which, I feel like it's bullshit. I just feel like it it was fabricated. Mexico and German. Like, what kind of Germany, alliance were they going to Yeah, form? that's weird. The Mexican government was so new back then. Yeah. Like, when the hell did the, the Mexican Revolution would have been going on, like, right, right <laughs> then. You know what I mean? Right. But, you know, the British did have decoders. Yes, they did. And they were very good. And they were very good, too. Like, like that guy that literally created the machine. Sure. To, to do that shit. I don't know if that was World War Two or World War One. I. I honestly can't I think it, it seemed like it had to have been World War One. The Zimmerman telegram? No, the, yeah, this particular yeah. story, I'm talking about, oh, talking about the, the, imitation the, game? the imitation game. Yeah, I can't remember which war that was. That would have been World War II if it was Nazi. Nazism. Did I I say Nazi? You did say Nazi. I meant to say German, but I can't can't remember if it, I can't remember which war it was. Sure, because Nazism didn't even pop up. Yeah, Nazism was in the Second World World War. War 
Yeah. Can't remember, but... That's a really... And people don't really learn about that as much. I remember sitting yeah. there... There was something about the Zimmerman telegram that really had me fired up for a while. I can't remember if it was in high school history class or whatever, but it was like, this is the most ridiculous... Yeah, it's hard It's hard thing. to imagine Germany and Mexico coming up with something. Yeah. But. I feel like there's a lot more. We're going to have to keep up on that one and do a sure. little more research because there's something, there's something in my head that goes on with that one, and it's really interesting. It's a good one. Good thing we brought that one up. You got any more? I have one more real quick one. Sure. And this one is relatively recent. A lot of our listeners probably might even remember this one. No, we would not. We were not around at this time. On June 1st. 1980, a media magnet known as Ted Turner, upon the advent of cable television, launched his own idea for a current event-centered television network, known back then as the Cable News Network that we know today as CNN. This was like the wor- one of the worst days in humanity, <laughs> because... With his network, Ted Turner envisioned a 24-hour broadcast that kept all Americans always informed on the latest happenings, not only around the country, but around the world. People don't need that much information. This is what established the 24-hour news cycle, which is one of the single greatest travesties in our history, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. Because not only up until that point was the news basically a half-hour thing every day. Right. It was a half-hour national news. You had some local news mixed in earlier. Which is how it should be. You really, you don't need more than a half hour every day. What Cable News Network created was constant coverage of whatever. whatever Bullshit. Whatever people decided was going to be news. Now, the thing with that is, yes, there is a certain level of necessity for some sort of news dissemination. We can argue all day, and I'm going to argue to the end of the earth, that mainstream media doesn't do a good job of giving us the information that we need. But things can happen that you need to know about. Like a snowstorm coming in, you need to know... About that type of shit. Certain bad things can happen. Like, we need to know about, like, the wars and shit. But how it's disseminated to us is ridiculous. And when you look at who owns these networks, it's always these corporate oligarchs, essentially, Mm -hmm. that dominate how information comes to us, which is a very bad thing. With this 24-hour news cycle, anything that would get attention of viewers became news. And we can see a great example of that. In 1995, 1994, when a football player, a former football player killed his girlfriend and his and her boyfriend. And that became a media sensation where everybody in the world knew about that. When it's really a small time thing. Right. You know what I mean? So in terms of how we receive information these days, this creation of this cable news network was terrible because not only did it cover whatever the fuck it wanted to, it had to fill 24 hours a day of coverage. That's 48 times as much as the old network news, national news would cover it on a day. So that created an avenue for opinion to be yes, brought definitely. into the news, which should not exist in the, in the news, in the news as it should be. It also lowered the standard to journal, of journalism to something that is unrecognizable. It's a shameful yeah, profession as far as I'm concerned these days. You're forced to find something. You're forced not only to find something, but you're forced to get views because advertisers care about views more than they care about Then how is Mr. How is Mr. Potato Head still in business? Well, didn't he get canceled did he? I feel like Mr. Oh, uh, wait. Are you talking about Brian Stelzer? Yes. White Claw? Yes, White Claw. White Claw is the epitome of... It's, he's a manifestation of all the problems that exist because of the 24 news cycle. The 24-hour yes. news cycle exists. Well, he doesn't get any views. He doesn't get any views. You're right about that. But he's part of this big-ass network that is trying desperately to maintain relevance. Remember when he came out with his book and like he marketed... We are, so we heavy. Already, we already talked about that. Did, did we? Yeah. <laughs> that guy's a fucking clown. There's some kid that just crucified him at like a public debate forum. I love just it. Just put him up on a tee and just blast him away. And he was like, well, you know, we have to do things according to our standards and shit like that. And this guy's <laughs> su- such a fucking clown. I can't stand him, dude. I He's so annoying. He's You know what he looks like? Remember the, the pedophile for Subway, Jared Fogel? Yeah, he does. He looks like a bald version of Jared. 100%. Look I at Put the two faces together. Put Put some glasses yeah. on him. Yeah. And you know that Ryan Seltzer probably does some bad things. He looks like he, he looks like a thumb. Jesus Christ. I I I don't like him. Anyways. <laughs> so yes, we have Ted Turner the thing for this. Ted Definitely. Turner. Thanks, Ted Turner. And Ted Turner also hired Wolf Blitzer. Jesus. Who Lord nobody Almighty. needs either. It, it tells you that he should be out of the business. He's been in it since fucking Yeah. Well, way way too long. 
Well, Ted Turner's at least he's pretty much divested at this point from CNN because CNN's owned by AT and T these days, which nobody really seems to know about that either. It really isn't Ted Turner on the show anymore, but he didn't help a whole a whole lot. <laughs> Anyways, that's all I have for that that episode. I feel like that June first, nineteen eighty, terrible day, a day that will live on in infamy. Yeah, I agree. Anyways, one hundred percent. That's all I have for this episode. Do you have anything more? Nope, that's about it. I feel like that was a really interesting discussion. I was really yeah, nervous that about was. that one. I was really nervous about coming up with content, but it was really fun learning about the Toledo War. Yes, that was, that was a fun one to look into. And you can find more about that as well. That how your states got how the states got their shapes documentary is a really really cool breakdown of the Toledo War and how that whole thing happened. We'll have to check that out. That's really how I learned about it in the first place. Outside of my parents kind of bullshitting me back when I was a little kid. I felt like we covered a lot of good content on that one. I felt like we got some pretty good news stories. Please tweet us at thirty in the. Please let us know if we have any lesser known influential events that you feel like we should have covered or feel like we could talk about it in the future. Definitely. Let us know if you guys have any topics you guys want us to research and talk about. Yes, Tim did text us, our buddy Tim. He's got one. We're going to keep, we'll probably get it out there in the next couple weeks about aliens. He's got a good a good idea. So Awesome. That'll be a pretty good one. And then real quick, I noticed on the last episode and I couldn't fix it, our last topic was what? Lesser known influential people. Yes. At the end of the episode, I kept saying less influential people. If you know any less influential people, please tweet us at 30. <laughs> I realized how bad that was in editing. I didn't think about it at the time. But. <laughs> That's funny. Anyways, uh, please keep tweeting. Please keep checking us out on Facebook. Please tell all your friends about it. Please tell all your family about it. Please get us, us as many listeners as possible. The last episode did okay. We already have eight listens on that one. It hasn't been up for 24 hours yet. So nice. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, and we are over 3,000. I think we're at like 31. Hell yeah. Thank you Anyways. guys for the support. Yes. Thank you very much, guys. But I think it's about time to get out of here. So, peace. Tom Kosi Koz Z. I think that's how you say that. Can you spell it? Or K O Z S I. Okay. This one guy in a YouTube video. What? No, I'm just thinking about what I know about the battles. Okay. That were fought. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, this one guy. Yeah, Pretty but it, well, I found out how to fix that. So okay, I, I'll have my headphones now. Because in the fucking headphones, I hear everything. Like I sit yeah. here and I'm wheezing like a fucking whale. Like, <sighs> <laughs> and I have to cut. I cut some of it out. I don't cut everything out, but yeah, it's bad. The one you remember, Tavon Austin. Yeah. The one practice, they had a couple of receivers that got injured, and then Tavon Austin had to leave practice because he was getting stomach cramps. The reason why Tavon Austin was getting stomach cramps was he ate two bananas before practice. That's what he decided he was going to eat before practice. Now, they had already lost a bunch of receivers, and at that point they were down so many receivers that they couldn't keep practice going because they didn't have enough people, enough bodies just to go out there to practice. So they had to cut, they had to cut practice short. And Jeff Fisher sitting there addressing the, the team. And he's like, Tavon, why don't you stand up for us, please? He's like, why did you have to leave practice today? He's like, oh, I was getting stomach cramps, coach. He's like, why were you getting stomach cramps, coach? I don't know, I must have ate something. Okay, Tavon, what did you eat? Like, <laughs> I, I ate two bananas. And he's like, Tavon ate two bananas before practice. And we had to cut practice short because he got stomach cramps. A lot of you guys out there needed those reps today because you guys want to make this team right. Why do you guys want to be out there practicing? Because you got to prove to us that you can make the team. You guys lost your reps today because Tavon Austin decided to eat <laughs> two bananas before practice. And he was like, I ain't going 7-9 this year. That is some 7-9 bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And then I think it was, there might have been two different incidents that I combined, but there was another scenario where Kenny Britt and there was another receiver they had. I can't remember who it was. They were driving to practice in a go-kart, and they flipped the go-kart <laughs> over on the Jeez way to practice. Christ. And it's like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs>